Good morning. I know what it is with that song that gets me every time. For one, there's a whole bunch of scripture in it, and I love singing songs like that. Two, it's a wonderful message. And three, I cannot get the picture of my dad leading that song out of camp that we all loved, um, but especially the last time that he was director of that, the camp growing up and not being able to lead it. It's watching my dad kind of look a little bit like Don Keene, I'm going to pick on you, just tears going down, and, and I loved it. And it's one of those endearing things that, man, I cannot sing that song without having a little bit of a lump going, mm, there's something there, and I love that. Paul Harvey, he may have borrowed this, I've seen it in other sources, but, you know, if you can quote Paul Harvey, why not? So he once said that many Christians today have given up the call to being fishers of men for rather being keepers of the aquarium. Yeah, ouch. I mean, that's true, isn't it? Many of us, many Christians, many of our friends and loved ones have given up this call to be fishers of men and we have rather chosen a path, a path of least resistance of just being keepers of the aquarium. We would be fine, what that's saying, we would be fine as long as we don't lose anyone that's already here. Which sounds like a horrible way to do Christianity. What that is, is just saying, hey, we are content, we are good, we're, we don't want to worry about growth because growth can be a little scary, growth can be a little bit different, and we would rather just keep the peace. A lot of decisions that churches make are based upon the understanding of, are we going to offend anyone for being what the New Testament has called us to be? Are we going to have anyone leave because of this? And that's the wrong kind of question. The question should rather be around, is this what God is calling us to be? Is this what it should look like? Then let's walk through that path. Let's walk into that understanding. This series that we've been looking at for several weeks now has been around the idea of if church is to be like a home, what does that mean? In what ways should a church have the feeling that a good home should have? So what does a church home look and feel like? And, and, and last week we talked about this idea that home should be safe. It should be a safe place for those conversations, those hard conversations. It should be a safe place for anyone to come as they are. And they will be loved. They will be accepted. But also as Jesus challenged the woman, in, the adulterous woman in John 8 to go and sin no more, they will be challenged to change their life, to look like Christ. That's what home should be if it's safe. And so for the past several weeks, we've been looking at these different ideas, and we've given this understanding of what home could be. Today, I want to just picture what could home be like if we are truly a safe place, if we are a welcoming place, if we are an encouraging place, if we are doing all the things that we are called to do throughout Scripture. What does home look like? Well, I'm going to give you a quick picture of this. If we start welcoming people, truly welcoming, people are going to start showing up. Now, that seems like a no-brainer, doesn't it? But here's the thing. If we are doing the welcoming thing right, 
these people that show up may not look like us, may not fully think like us. In fact, they might be a little bit different than us. And when that happens, home is a little messy. Home gets a little messy whenever we bring others in. It's a little messy whenever the church home begins to welcome people that are different, that have different ideas. It's a little bit different. It's a little bit messy when we welcome people that are of a different political persuasion than us. Don't believe me? Let's invite Inglacia over here and just have a discussion about whether Trump should build a wall or not. That's not so much a political discussion that all of a sudden now turns into, do we love you or not? And that's how some of the, that's what I've learned about that discussion is that some people equate that. And I, I'm not here in a political arena. I am not supporting or disavowing any, anything. I'm just saying, when we have people of other political persuasions, it gets messy. It gets difficult. What about people of different faith backgrounds? They have different ideas on what scripture means, the interpretation of scripture. And then all of a sudden they come in with these different ideas and we're like, oh, sorry, you can't be here anymore. To figure this out, it's messy. To walk alongside people that have different views is messy. What about if the homeless start showing up? And we're like, we talk about how church is a home. And they're like, I can't relate, I don't understand. Because I don't have one, and most of us are like, I don't know what to do with you. I'll walk on. What about if someone who identifies with LGBTQ? Any one of those, every one of those, and says, you know what? I might want to call this place my church home. What's that look like for us? It's not as clean, cut, and dry as we would like it. Because to walk alongside that, to have the right kind of conversations, we need to do something up front that shows that home is safe, but in the process, home is messy. When we navigate these difficult conversations, it gets messy. But see, most of us have been willing to to sidestep those difficult conversations and just focus on the people like us. We have been more concerned about being keepers of the aquarium than we have been about reaching the lost. Because we don't want to get messy. We don't like the mess. See, Jesus often was found in the middle of a mess. In fact, Jesus quite often, many times, finds himself, we, we see him seeking out the person who is out there. The person who others think shouldn't be in here. And he's around those people. He, he's around people like the Samaritan woman at the well. He's, a, he, he's inviting people like Zacchaeus, this tax collector. Or like the Gerasene demoniac named Legion. Other people wouldn't have touched them with a 10-feet pole, and Jesus is there. But mind you, every time he's there, he's in the middle of a mess. Because what we see with the, with the Samaritan woman at the well is that, for one, this is a Samaritan Jews didn't talk to Samaritans typically. And a woman, Jewish men for sure wouldn't want to be seen talking to another woman in public, even their wives. That was part of the custom. It's crazy that Jesus did this. The garrison demoniac, they have tried to chain him up, to try to hold him still, to kind of relegate him to the outside. And Jesus says, I'll find you in that graveyard. I'll find you where you're at and I will 
heal you. You will be redeemed in me. Jesus came to the mess of a tax collector. A guy who has made a mess of his life in, in, in a spiritual sense. He may be a chief tax collector, but he was having a hard time with his brothers and sisters. And Jesus was able to redeem him. But it was messy. And in fact, Jesus isn't just the one that finds himself in the mess. He calls his followers to join in the mess of life. To not be so afraid of the messiness. To not be so afraid to just step back and say, well, I'm not going to touch that. Unclean. Unclean. What Jesus says is, hey, you walk into that mess as I did. In Acts 10, we see a great story of Jesus inviting a guy named Peter. You know the guy. One of the apostles, one of the closest to Jesus, who knew what Jesus did, he saw it, but he was having a hard time understanding how it applied in his life. In Acts 10, we see Jesus call Peter into the mess of a situation in order to welcome home to the church someone who felt like an outsider. So let's read Acts 10, starting in verse 1. It says this. In Caesarea, there lived a Roman Armin. Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was the captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. All right, this is kind of a dichotomy picture that is being painted of this guy named Cornelius. What you need to understand is he is an outsider. He is a Gentile. He is not one of the chosen family that they thought of the Jews. This is This is someone outside of the Jewish faith. Yet, he fears God, he prays to him. And God is about to do something to welcome him and to show the church that people like Cornelius should be welcomed among them. And this is new, this is strange, this is different. Because up until this point in the the church history, really the only people who were being evangelized to was the people like them, the Jews, they were the ones that would go out to their brothers and sisters already. They would go out to their, Jew, their Jewish friends and neighbors, and they would invite them to come and join following Jesus. But the Gentiles, they were off limits. They were outcasts. They were not welcomed. This story is going to change it. God is about to connect this God-fearer with his family. And I love this. So to do this, he sends a vision to Cornelius. Basically, the vision says, hey, I see what you've been doing. I've heard your prayers. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to send for Peter. Send for Peter. Now, God knows that this is about to be a pretty messy situation, so God prepares Peter. It's about mealtime, and Peter's up on the roof praying, and he has a vision himself. Here's his vision. He saw the sky open, and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. Then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Well, no, Lord, Peter declared. I have never eaten anything our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. All right, pretty powerful little vision. Peter's a little confused. He's a little perplexed perplexed with this. God sends him this vision three different times because Peter's thick-skulled as many of us are. But also, things happen in threes quite often for Peter. 
He sends it to him three times, but after the third time, he's still a little confused. And he doesn't fully understand until God tells him, hey, here's what it's about. And where that shows up is all of a sudden, the men from Cornelius come knocking on the door, and, and, and they ask for Peter. Peter's up on the roof, and God tells him, hey, don't be afraid to go with these men. Now, why would Peter be afraid to go with these men? I mean, they're coming asking about Jesus. They're coming and going to be asking about the way to follow Christ. This is evangelistic opportunity that many of us just, we would love to have. You know, instead of us going and knocking on people's doors, we would rather someone come in, knock on our door and say, hey, do you know anything about Jesus? (laughs) Well, let me tell you. Because that's like awesome opportunity, isn't it? This is what every one of us wants. And, and God has to tell Peter, hey, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to go with them. We need to understand just how much the Jews had a problem with the Gentiles. Because Peter would have been reluctant unless God would have said, or in, in, unless God told him, hey, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to go. There is so much built up animosity between the two that even whenever Peter shows up, at the Cornelius' house, and as they're talking, he ends up saying this in verse 28. Peter told them, you know it's against our law for the Jewish, uh, Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this, or do we even associate with you? But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. Well, welcome to my house. I mean, what an introduction. Hey, you're unclean. I'm going to come here anyways, because God said I should. This is like how not to do evangelism 101. Offend the guest. You know, let's just straight up offend them. It's weird. But notice, Peter says, our law forbids us. I want you to know that there is no law in the Old Testament that says a Jew cannot enter the home of a Gentile or associate with them. There's some laws about uh, intermarriage and there's some laws about uh, what's clean and unclean. But it never once says you cannot associate with them. This was more of a social taboo. This was a Jewish custom that that Peter is quoting here, which is fascinating to me. He's saying, you know what, this is going to be downright offensive to some folks that I'm here. And he's right. We're about to see that. But he says, I would be reluctant because of that. This law, this custom that they had wrapped around was based upon clean and unclean, and they would rather write off a whole group of people, literally the rest of the world would be Gentiles, they would rather write them off than dwell in the mess to welcome them into God's kingdom. They would find any excuse to not be with them. How much are we like them today? How many people groups do you excuse yourself from being around? How many groups of people do you decide, you know what, this is unclean for me? You may not use those words, but you excuse yourself. You find some excuse not to be among them, with them, talking to them about Jesus for any reason because, oh no, they actually might come to church with me. How many people do we dismiss with our excuses whether it's based on race 
political status, economic status, views about religion, or whatever. Their lifestyle choices, and we say, unclean. We do this so often, don't we? Because we're unwilling to walk into the mess. We're unwilling to be like Jesus and dwell in the mess of people's lives. We would rather have it easy. So if you've ever made an excuse not to be with a certain group of people and evangelize them for whatever reason, then pay attention. Pay attention to what God is doing through Peter and Cornelius. God calls Peter, this Jew, this follower of Jesus, to follow him where he would go and invite a man who is searching, his whole household, who is searching for what it looks like to follow God and welcome him into the family. Peter finally gets what this really means. And, and verse 34 and 35, it says this. Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is a huge statement for a very proud Jew. This uh, just is just a small picture. This would be very similar to saying someone from Texas recognizes that other, uh, the other 49 states are legitimate. They're fine. You know, that would be a huge understanding for a, a Texan to really go, you know what, it's all right to be from Oklahoma. It's all right. <laughs> That's what Peter's doing here. You kind of grasping? He's saying, I understand that it's okay to be in the church family and to not be a Jew. What? I understand that it's okay to be in the church family and not be my political party. I understand it's okay to be in the church family and not look at and think exactly as I do. This is huge, what Peter is coming to. He says God shows no favoritism. So maybe the question we ought to ask ourselves is, why do we? Because let's be honest, we do. We show favoritism in, in, in many different ways. It's not like we offer the best seat in the house to, to those who we think are the richest or have the most affluence or anything like that. It, what we do quite often, though, is we welcome to the seat those who are more like us. And we are glad if someone else shows up that may not be like us, but we're not going to go seek them out so much. We would rather keep the aquarium than be fishers of men because we show our favoritism to the aquarium. And we say our aquarium is better than someone else's aquarium, and we start throwing stones at their ideology, we start throwing stones at their theology, and we start saying, you know what, we're the only ones that have it right. And we become further keepers of our aquarium rather than dealing with the mess of saying, you know what, let's study this together. Hey, you know what, let's walk together through this, whatever it may be. Oh, you're going through a divorce. You know what, growing up, that was the taboo. You couldn't be divorced in the, in, in the church. You were not welcome here. Thank God we've started to change some of that understanding of saying, we know this is ugly, we know this is not something that anybody wants, not even God wants it. Scripture's clear, but you know what? We will walk with you through this, along beside you, step in step, hand in hand. And we know it'll get messy, but we know that God shows no favoritism. 
so often we welcome people that are like us because this is evangelism of least resistance. We want evangelism that's easy. People do just kind of come to us. But that's not how it works. It's not how it ever worked. God called Peter and every one of us to exit his comfort zone, to exit our comfort zones, and to get into the mess of other people's lives. Because home is always going to be messy. And even whenever you tidy it up, it's still going to get messy. So Peter walks into this mess, and he walks through it, and it's wonderful. Cornelius and his whole family are baptized. They follow Jesus, and it's just this beautiful picture in Acts 10. But the mess isn't over. Because Acts 11 shows up, and what, what happens in Acts 11 is Peter goes back home to the church family. And you know what happens? They don't give him high fives and a, and a good reception of saying, Wow, you really did it! I didn't think you would! You know what they do? They criticize him. They criticize him for entering the home of a Gentile man. They criticize him because they've heard stories about what has happened. And this happens in the church still, doesn't it? People will go out and they will go outside of their comfort zone. They will go dwell in the mess with some family. They will go dwell in the mess with some community member. And the church hears about it and starts shunning them of saying, whoa, you crossed a line there. Whose line did you cross? The pharisaical line that says, hey, we can't even associate with Gentiles. Or the line that God says, hey, that's where I am. I even think about it now, just a couple weeks ago, it's been planning for a while, but a couple weeks ago, um, a few of our family have started a Bible study at the local brewery. Now, there will be some questions about that, and rightfully so. But I would bet that there would be some people even here that would question motives and they would question whether lines have been crossed because we're going there. Really? Now, they have to defend and they have to have answers for these things. Rightfully so. Peter, whenever he's criticized, he has answers for their, for their critiques. He has answers for the things of why he did what he did. And may we be like the home church of Peter that whenever they hear all of the work that God is doing, they praise God. Because what happens is at the end of this chapter, well, I don't have it up on the screen yet. Yeah, I do. Verse 18, when the others heard this, they stopped objecting and began praising God. They said, we can see that God has also given Gentiles the privilege of repenting of their sins and receiving eternal life. This is a turning point in the book of Acts. Up to this point, the Christianity has only spread to the Jews. After this point, it spreads to the Jews and the Gentiles. But the mess is not gone. In fact, after this point, you would almost say that the rest of the New Testament is dealing with the mess of what it looks like to welcome Jews and Gentiles, or you name the two opposing groups, into a church family. And it gets messy doing this. It is difficult. And the whole point is we should navigate this mess like Jesus did. We should be willing to walk into that mess. But here's the thing that you need to understand, you need to realize. We mess up ourselves. Christians don't always navigate the mess right. I don't always navigate that mess right. Our elders don't always navigate the messes right. 
We mess up in the messes, which is part of the why messes are so messy, is because not every party does it right. Even Peter. Even Peter, who knew what was happening, he knew what was going on, he knew what he should be doing, messes up. This time, it's in Antioch. Galatians 2.11 says, but when Peter came to Antioch, this is Paul talking. Paul says, I had to oppose him to his face, for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterwards, when some of the friends of James came, which is, in other words, the home church, when the home church came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of the criticism of those people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy. Even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. This is like ultimate call-out in Scripture. Whenever one of the apostles calls out the other apostle for saying, you did wrong here. You done messed up. And I'm glad Paul did this. Because Peter did. How many of us can relate to Peter, though? When in Rome, do as the Romans do. We're fine. If someone's not going to criticize us, we are fine walking into some of those situations, some of those arenas that might be, you know, other people might kind of raise an eyebrow with. But when those people that might raise an eyebrow show up and we know there's going to be some criticism, we would rather play it safe, wouldn't we? And in so doing, we hamstring the evangelistic push of the church. When all we do is play it safe, we don't become a safe place. We become an exclusive club that you have to meet all these criteria to be one of us. And we're not a welcome home. Peter trades in the fellowship of some Christians because he's afraid of the criticism of other Christians who may not accept this group as Christian which happens all the time today. We are afraid of the criticism that might come, and so we just stay away. That's not right. See, if God has truly invited and welcomed anyone who is seeking him, if he truly shows no favoritism to any people group, including the one that I'm a part of, then that means we shouldn't either. And we should be willing to walk into that mess knowing that we are a mess ourselves. But it's difficult because the question we should ask, how are we going to handle the mess whenever it shows up? Because if we're doing the welcoming thing right, messiness is going to follow. We're going to have those messes come. How are we going to handle that mess? Are we going to do as Peter was tempted to do and just back away from it? Someone else will handle that. Or are we going to do as Jesus would do and walk into that mess? and say, let's go. It doesn't mean we condone all the actions. It doesn't mean we even agree with all the thoughts and the theologies. It just means that we're willing to walk hand in hand and have that conversation through the mess in order for people to understand who Christ really is and what he's calling them to. And that's messy. Because when people, when we start doing this, we have to lay aside our offendable nature. Because too often we're just offended by other people. We're offended by their tattoos. We're offended by their hair. We're offended by their life choices. We're offended by their theology. We're offended by this, that, and their other. Anything that doesn't agree with who I am, what I look like, how I smell, what I think, all the things. And we're offended by them. And so we hold them off as unclean. 
we need to be an unoffendable people. I'm not saying that there aren't offenses in this world, but we need to be on the stance of not that, that what you choose, what you do, is not an offense to me. I'm going to love you, and I'm here to walk with you through the mess, whatever that mess may be. So this morning, I don't know where you're at, because there's a good chance, though, that you're in the middle of a mess yourself. You're in the middle of a mess that you're struggling with that, that you don't know if the people of this church will handle appropriately because you've heard stories before. Maybe you've been a part of those stories before whenever people have not treated you with the love, the grace, and the welcome home that you should have received. Well, we're all messy people, and we all mess up. Here's my prayer. If you are in the middle of a mess and you need some help, that you will find someone. You will take that little bit of leap of faith, find one of the elders, ministers, it's fine, or find the person here in this auditorium that may not fit that, uh, that qualification, but they are there for you. Find that person and let them have the opportunity to hold hands with you through your mess. Or maybe as a church, we need to just collectively repent for trying to stay a little too clean, for not rolling up our sleeves and getting into the mess with the people around us. Whatever God may be calling you this morning in this invitation, I want you to know it is welcome. We're here for prayers. We're here for restorations. We are here so that you can become a part, part of the body of Christ, no matter your story, no matter where you're at. We want to walk with you until you're where Jesus wants you, which is part of this home. If you have any need, would you let it be known as we stand and as we sing together?